Welcome everybody, a Monday edition Texans All Access coming at you from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am driving tonight. I am John Harris, football sideline reporter. And sometimes I'm in the driver's seat, sometimes I'm in the passenger seat, but nearly every single minute of the time, it's the two of us, me, John Harris, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, do you like being in the driver's seat or do you like being in the passenger side? Where you have to navigate, Johnny. I always liken us to uh, to Lennon and McCartney. Really, uh, sometimes you know, for singing a, a McCartney song, I I think I'm McCartney. By the way, I think you're okay. Lennon, okay. and with a longer lifespan, and I'm McCartney. <laughs> how about that? I just compared us to okay. like two of the greatest songwriters ever. Maybe it's like too much. All right, how about this? Uh, Glenn Fry and Don Henley. All I like right? it. I like. I that. think that you're Don Henley and I'm Glenn Fry, but I'm not okay. dead. So there's that. And Fleetwood Mac, I think I'm probably more like Christy McVie and you're Stevie Nicks, but I don't know. So uh, maybe uh, one of us is Lindsey Buckingham, but I think it doesn't matter who drives or who doesn't drive. I think when you turn on the radio and you hear us, you know, we're talking. Uh, it does matter to a degree because you throw stuff at me. I throw stuff at you, but I yeah. kind of like doing both. It's it's fun to be able to play different instruments in the band. In my high school band, we switched up. I'd play bass for two or three songs. It was kind of cool that way. Yeah, that's very cool to switch things up. You bring up Fleetwood Mac. Pretty interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know you just brought it up out of the blue, but I'm going to ask you in the second segment, right. is Fleetwood Mac Matt Stafford? Is no. Matt Stafford Fleetwood <laughs> Mac? I mean, Ooh. because if you if you think about it, it's pretty apropos. Very talented, extremely talented group. A decent lifespan. You expect a lot from them, but yet there were other bands and other artists that were above and beyond them. Even though Fleetwood Mac probably should have been beyond what those bands were Fleetwood Mac is Matt Stafford. Yes or no. I will. Do, do I answer to the next segment? I will come up with a better musical okay. comparison all to right. Matt Stafford than Fleetwood Mac way better. Okay. Okay. Because okay. all right, we'll, we'll get into it in the next segment. I, I could all do right. this all day long, by the way, with what musical artists equal, what football players, but I know <laughs> we have other things to do first. I think I kind of <laughs> want to get into that, but I do want to talk about Matt Stafford because it's been interesting to watch the the arc since he's been traded. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because I listened to the Flying Coach podcast with uh, Peter Schrager from Fox Sports, also Good Morning Football, and Sean McVay, the head coach of the LA Rams, and how excited Sean McVay is to have Matt Stafford. But it's almost, I think, created Matt Stafford this, I don't want to say, you know, this grand player mm-hmm. when – I don't know that he really was that in Detroit. And I know there were times when the defense or the receivers or whatever else in Detroit just didn't work. But it got into a pretty heated debate on Twitter today between a few guys. I don't say heated, but there was a good discussion about it. And it got me thinking. And the Texans do face him on, on October 31st, Halloween Sunday. We'll talk about Matt Stafford in the next segment. But, Mark, more pressing issues. Training camp. Is on the horizon. As I look at my calendar, it says July 12th. That means somewhere in the next two and a half-ish weeks or so, we're going to see the 2020 
Texans, 2021 Texans on the field all together, first time in training camp, ready to go. But as we get ready to go, we've got to put together a to-do list. I was listening to Lopez and Landry uh, earlier today. And Lopez made this comment, and I thought it was interesting. He said, as husbands, we only have two things. We can control the thermostat and the remote. Everything else, we have to rely on our wives. And I thought, oh, boy, okay. All right. That's another one. We oftentimes will end up with a to-do list. All right. Here is the (laughs) to-do list. I go to HEB or Kroger with a to-do list. We just call it the list, but it's a to-do list. So we, you and I, have to come up with what the to-do list for the Texans in training camp, throughout training camp, has got to be. Specifically, general, either way you look at it, we got to come up with the to-do list for this team coming into training camp and coming out of training camp, getting ready for September 12th against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Are you ready for the to-do list? I'm ready, Johnny, and I think you've come to the right place because when it comes to knowing what to do at camp and how to divide up these reps, I feel like I've got this. And if Nick and Coach Cully want to talk to me, I think I've done all the work here. I've done all the work. They don't need to look any further. They don't need to delve into anything. Just ask me, and I'm sure they will. Actually, they won't. They won't even care. (laughs) But we can do it right here on the radio. Yes, of course. And I would imagine they'll ask your opinion. They've they've asked your opinion for things. Yeah, not this. Maybe not, not this. training camp. <laughs> Maybe not you, training camp. But you know the history. What do you think of, of Joe Texans? Buck? You know, what do you think of Al Michaels? That's the kind of opinion they might seek from oh. me. Not how do you think we should divvy up the reps at uh, punt returner? They're not going to ask me that. Mm-mm. How do you think they? Oh no, no. Let's not get. Let's not get. Actually, that comes into grand. play here. That comes it into does. play here. Oh, yeah. It does. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I thought about that because I was watching. I went back and I was watching. I'll, I'll go first, kind of. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go first. You give one, I give one. You want to do that? Yeah. All right. I was watching the, the Browns, the game, the, the Browns game from okay. last year. And I was looking for something specific. And I was like, ah, man, I should have known not to really. The Browns game was probably not the <laughs> one to be looking for anything specific. But uh... it got me. It got me really, um, I don't know, disappointed is not the right word. That was a winnable game. And, look, there were a number of them, both Colts games, both Titans games, the mm. Browns game. There were, mm. there were a number of winnable games. I mean, the Steelers game. I think one of the things, and I this, – this is, this is kind of tricky throughout the league. Right. But the one thing that stood out to me in that Browns game was the fact that we did not tackle very well. And watching the defense tackle, and it wasn't all just Nick Chubb running through arm tackles or anything like that. It was guys not being in position. There were times there were times in that game where you're expecting Chubb to just go crazy, and then, man, a defensive front would close down, linebackers would fill gaps, and it, would, it looked good. But there were times in that game where the tackling was not good. And it obviously came to fruition in the late third quarter on into the fourth quarter where the tackling was not great. That goes up on the to-do list. And I, and I know it's one of those things that I don't say you take for granted, but I think you take it for granted less now because you don't hit as much 
as you used to. Right. So what needs to be done during training camp to make sure that you may not be focused on the physical strike, wrap, bring to the ground, mm-hmm. tackling part, but what all are you doing in training camp to make sure that the footwork, being in position, um, making sure that you're filling the right gaps, all those kind of things, the things that you can do to improve tackling are being done on a daily basis such that, hey, you might be tackling a bunch of dummies and a bunch of donuts and stuff, but at least you're working on the techniques and doing those things such that you can be a better tackling team than this group was last year. So to me, former defensive guy, I always look forward to training camp because we did get a chance to be physical and tackleable. That was almost 30 years ago. Now, how can you become a good tackling team without being so overly physical in practice? That's on my to-do list, number one. Those, that's got to be accomplished, becoming a good tackling team without being so physical every single day in training camp. Well, I was going to go to the offense right away, but I'll stay on defense since you brought it here, Johnny. And one of the things you mentioned there besides the tackling was being in position. Are you in position, the proper position to make the play? So it's a fundamental thing. And even though you can't work on tackling really in OTAs, the offseason weeks that they had, you can work on being in the right spot, being in the right place. And what we're going to be doing on defense philosophically, Lovey Smith's new system, new to this team. And I do think that Lovey being on this team in this organization is sort of an underplayed thing. This is a guy who's coached a lot of really good defense, turns the ball over, gets the takeaways. I like that. Turns the ball over on the defensive side, meaning you get the takeaways. We went over this terminology last week for people who are just dropping it like, what are you talking about? You want to turn the ball? You want to have the opponent turn the ball over. So I believe that they've already started this. They've already started this. We saw them work on some turnover drills. You know they've been working on getting in the right spot. And you talk about your flying coach podcast with Sean McVay. He talks about first and second down. In other words, in other words, basic football stuff. And I think that they, and he talked about working on that during the week on a game week, Monday and Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday and Thursday, your first two days of real practice leading into a game. I think they've worked on a lot of first and second down type stuff in the off season practice to get these defensive players acclimated to what they want to do. It's a new system. It's going to be different. If you don't hit the ground running in training camp and you have most of your stuff in, you're way behind. I believe they have most of their stuff in on that side of the football. So I'm going to say being in the right spot, the choreography of the defense and how they want to address taking the ball away. It's not just wreaking havoc in the backfield. You'd love to do it all day long, but they worked on things as far as the trickery in the secondary. Johnny, that's a football term. You can't get this kind of stuff anywhere else, all right? The yeah. trickery in the defense, disguising coverages, that kind of thing on the back end. They worked on that, and I'm looking forward to seeing the results soon enough. Okay, I'm going to stay actually on the defensive side of the ball because wow. you, sort of, you, sort of, you, you sort of triggered a thought in some, in okay. some sense. And this is one that actually Seth Payne and I have talked about a bunch just texting each other back and forth. We, every now and again, we, you know, we'll, we'll go over something and kind of just discuss it through text. And Zach Cunningham is a guy that comes up a lot in our, in our discussions. Zach had 164 tackles last year. 
He played as a 3-4 inside linebacker. I'm curious to see, and he was not – he did not go through the offseason here. So I'm curious to see how Lovey Smith uses him. Does he put him in the Mike position? Does he play Mike backer? Does he play Will linebacker? Does he play Will linebacker on first, second down, and on third down he moves over to Mike? He is a three-down linebacker, there's no doubt. I think he – man, I, I would say he's the best defensive player this, this organization has. But on the to-do list, I want to figure out where does Zach Cunningham fit best in Lovey Smith's new scheme. And I think it's probably at Mike, but I could see him playing Will. Mm. So wow. I think one of those two spots he's going to fill. It's just a matter of which one fits best. And if he ends up at Mike, how do you then flank him with Will and Sam? If, you, if he then plays Will, then who do you put at the Mike and who do you put at the Sam at that point? And I'm curious to see that. And I think it's also key because then I think things then filter down from that. Because if you play him at Will, there's some things that Zach can do out in coverage because he is so athletic that maybe you, I don't want to say get away with, but you have an opportunity to leave a particular personnel group on the field because Zach can't stay out there and do some different things. But if you play him at Mike, well, then maybe those personnel groups get changed up. So I think to-do list, where exactly does Zach Cunningham step in and play, be it Mike? I wouldn't imagine he plays Sam. But if he plays the Mike or the Will, and which one fits for him best, I think he's the best defensive player that we've got in figuring out his role and then kind of letting everything else filter in around him I think is going to be key. But I don't know that everything else kind of fits in place until we know exactly how Zach Cunningham fits in this defense. Interesting. Quarterback of the defense. He's been that way so far. We'll see how it works out. All right, my next item on the to-do list, and by the way, I think we're going in no particular order here because Correct. obviously, and I think much of this is out of your control, you need to figure out the quarterback situation yes. uh, with training camp beginning, and is there going to be some big news? Is there not going to be some big news? Are you going with what you've been practicing with so far? Because let's just say that's the case, you know, based on everything that's happening outside, you need to figure out how you want to divide up these reps here yep. because Terod Taylor clearly is a guy who's been around the block. He knows this system. He should come in good to go, right? You've got to get him ready to play. There's no doubt about it, but how do you work it with Driscoll and Davis Mills? Do you let Davis Mills battle with the threes and try to move up? Do you automatically give them reps with the twos? You see, I think that as long as you're learning the system and the threes are capable around you, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference early. Let's right. see if he can get it and then let the tide rise if he's capable of doing it, right? Clearly, Taylor's going to be the guy, but, you know, assuming certain things. But with Driscoll and Davis Mills, you'd like Davis Mills to win that job. No offense, Jeff Driscoll. I think he knows that too, that that's what you're looking for from a third round draft choice who's so highly regarded for a third round draft choice. So I'm eager to see that. And I think that you need to determine how you want to play it. And I think you start with the threes and maybe mix in some twos, but you see how he performs and you move him up accordingly and see how it goes from there. Look, that's what happened with Watson in 2017. He yep. started training camp at the Greenbrier with the threes. 
and he floated up, right? So let's just see if Davis Mills could do something similar here as far as moving from the threes to the twos. You'll take the rest from there. Gosh, why am I blanking on who the two was? Oh, it was Brandon Wheaton. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was Wheaton. I, I was completely blanking, man. Who ultimately the, did not make the football team, but you really needed him to that year because Watson got hurt. Savage yeah. got hurt. It yeah. would have been Wheaton time toward the end of the season anyway. You were back to Yates. You had Taylor Heineke appearing. I mean, Ugh. you were really desperate for quarterback help. Yeah, desperate. In conjunction with yours, mm -hmm. which I would imagine that probably goes number one. I, right. I mean, I think just given everything that has transpired from the end of the football season to where we are today. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that's so there's that, but in conjunction with that, I feel like last year, the start of the season, obviously starting with the chiefs, the Ravens, the Steelers and the Vikings just didn't help anything. However, it really didn't help anything when the four top receivers that you had, None of them all together worked with the starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson, at all. One day it was two guys. One day it was one. One guy would be two. Then it would be three. They never worked. Cooks, Cobb, Fuller, Stills. Those four, thought to be the top four guys, did not work with Deshaun all together on the same day until Thursday night in Kansas City. Wow. And it showed itself, I felt like, especially in the first two games, started to kind of break out of it and get into something of a rhythm in week three. And then week four kind of regressed, changes made, and then they really started to kind of find their, themselves going forward. But they never were all together. So to your point about getting reps, if they go into the season, and let's say that it plays out where Tyrod – is that guy to start, and then you've got Davis and you got Jeff behind them. The key to me is that every time that Tarod Taylor takes a snap, that Brandon Cooks, and I don't know exactly who will be the number two, whether it's going to be Kiki and Cobb. I, I don't know how that's going to go, but I know Brandon Cooks is the number one receiver for this team. Every time Tarod Taylor takes a snap, to the degree that Brandon Cooks is healthy, I want those two on the field together. And I would, I would think Randall Cobb is definitely going to be in that mix. I think Kiki QT is going to be in that mix. I don't, but okay, let's just say it's Cooks and let's just take Cooks and Cobb. Those mm -hmm. two are taking every single rep with Terod Taylor. Every time Terod takes a snap, they're on the field. Run, pass, punt. I don't care. If Terod Taylor's on the field, those two are on the field during training camp and they get to a better synergy to start the year than where this passing game quarterback and receivers were in 2020. I think that's a great point. Last year, and we've talked about this, we were pointing this out. That's why you need to listen to our shows during training camp. We were mentioning, hey, look who's not out there today. Right. Could be a veteran sit, could be some kind of nagging injury or whatever, but they did not have that group with them. And it showed late in the season when Watson appeared to have great chemistry with guys like Chad Hansen and Kiki yes. Kiki because they were on the field with him in training camp. 
And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it was notable that that was the case. Okay. Running backs, Johnny, this is tricky because I've always said this about Philip Lindsay. If he's healthy, he's a good player. This is probably your best running back. If he's healthy, the question is you get him into training camp, you put on the pads, he looks good. How do you handle it? Do you mothball him? He still needs the work, but how much work does he really need? When is the buildup coming down and the tear down coming up, right? You want to make sure you're still building them up and you don't want to break them down too much because you want them available for the season. I think that's going to be very interesting to handle. I want to limit his reps. I just do. I know he's good. As long as he's getting the offense and understands it, I want to keep him fairly limited. I think you could say that for just about all of the top four guys at running back. David Johnson, maybe not, but I think you have a case to say it about him as well. Ingram, clearly because of age, Burkhead, age and injury as well. And maybe it's just good that you've these four guys. Now, maybe there's a move to be made before camp with one of these guys or more. I don't know. But with these top four guys, and I'll assume they're the top four, maybe I just have enough guys here where I can mix and match. I can like, you know, Burkhead had a good practice. Give him a day off. Lindsay had a good practice. Give him a day off. Maybe that's how they do it. But that is what I'm looking for here on this training camp to do list running back rep management. You have to be diligent about it because gosh, you couldn't run the football last year and you have a chance to do it this year with this line and these backs combination, however you want to work it out back there, but you got to be careful with their health in the first six weeks. That's what it is. It's two weeks of practice, then the preseason games, then the two weeks before the opener. I will let you close with the offensive line. Cause I know that's on both of our lists. So I'll let you close. Yep. With it. I'll leave, I'll leave that for you. All right. I'm going to close with one guy. Okay. One name. Because I think that he might be, I've said there are three guys. I've said that if these three take the leap, then I think we're looking to be in pretty good shape. One of those is Titus Howard. I think Titus has started to take it. He takes a year two to year three jump. Could be talking about one of the better young tackles in this league. Lonnie Johnson at safety is another one that I think is massively important. He's got to he's got to take that jump again. Another 2019 guy, but to me, the most important guy is Ross Blacklock. Ross Blacklock up front. The scheme fits him perfectly, mm-hmm. perfectly. He now has to take his game to I don't want to say even a higher level than 2020. He's got to get it mm-hmm. to a level. He's got to get to a point yeah. where the expectations match because his quickness, his athleticism. His ability to create chaos fits this defense hand in glove. Ross Blacklock, to me, in training camp, will be a guy that I watch every single day to see whether he is making those those particular strides. That is a must, Ross Blacklock taking those strides. Hey, I I like Ross so much. The measurables are really next level. When you just look at what he can do physically as an athlete – and you need that to happen as a defensive lineman in gameplay. I mean, it just yep. sounds so obvious, but it's so true that he shows you so much. There's a reason why he was drafted in that spot. He does yep. show you so much, but he's got to show it on the field, got to make the most of these opportunities. And I think that with this coaching change, it's a change of scenery without changing your scenery, right? It's changing the coaching 
around you, and I think it's really going to help him. All right, on the O-line quickly here, you got to figure out who's playing right tackle. you got to figure out if it's Cannon or Howard, however you want to do that. Yep. I think you have to do that fast, and I would assume they already know, but if they don't, they better get it fast, in my opinion, because on this team, on the 2021 Texans, those five fingers on the offensive line that make that fist, they got to be together. They got to be a unit. And I think you'd still need rep management there, particularly in some spots, but they have to play together enough to get some chemistry for you going into the season. I really want to see that group get as much time together as possible. You talked about, Hey, every time Taylor's out there, I want to see cooks and Cobb or whoever you deem are your, are your yeah. top two guys. Well, it's the same thing with that line. They got to be out there. No, you, People freak out. A lot of media people freak out when they see a tackle moving a guard during training camp practice or somebody running with the twos. They freak out too much because you and I have seen it way too much yep. in games where you have to mix and match, where you have to move a tackle over or bring a guy off the bench who was a tackle. But now he's going to be a guard in this game because you dress seven. And that's just the way it's got to be this afternoon to get you through the game. And you have to practice some of those situations in training camp to be ready for those instances. But Overall, I want to see those five guys working together as much as possible in concert. There you go. Your Texans training camp to-do list. Coming up next, is Matt Stafford all that in a bag of chips? We face him October 31st. Talk about that next right here at Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. Hopefully it is not a rainy one where you are. I've got it drizzling here, but I guess that's just the city of Houston. John Harris, Mark Vandermeer. And Mark, this happened, man, it happened over the weekend. It, it, it feels like it happens a lot more now that Matt Stafford is with <laughs> the Los Angeles Rams than it did when he was with the Detroit Lions. And the, the genesis is that, there are people that think Matt Stafford is everything that you want in a quarterback. And now that he's got the opportunity to get out of Detroit, he will show it to everybody. And he's about to be the next, uh, I don't know, Tom Brady incarnate for the next 10 years. He and McVay, they're going to make sweet music together, et cetera, et cetera. And then the flip side of that is, well, you know what? He had some pretty good weapons in Detroit. He threw to Megatron. They didn't win a playoff game. Like, there's been a lot there around Stafford. His defenses were actually pretty good for the years he was there, except minus a couple. I said pretty good. They were top – they were at least top half of the league. So, is Matt Stafford good? Is he great? We know he's not bad. We know he's a, you know he's a decent quarterback. But there feels – there seems to be – a lot going on with Matt Stafford, and it really is sort of polarizing in some sense. I thought, you know what? Talk about it. We face him October 31st. Over his career, he's completed 63% of his passes. I bring that up because that's not a great number nowadays. I was watching the 1985 divisional playoff, the Cowboys and the Rams. It popped up on my YouTube the other day, and so I wanted to watch a little bit. So I watched like the first half, I think. Dieter Brock completed 59.2% of his passes in 1985. He was third yeah. in the league. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. third in the league with 59.7%. It's changed, it's changed. Johnny. Yeah. So Stafford's completed 63% of his passes. He's thrown 282 interceptions. 
I'm sorry, 282 touchdowns, 144 interceptions, almost a two-to-one ratio, just under a two-to-one ratio. It's about eight yards per attempt, seven, eight yards per attempt, over 45,000 yards. He's never won a playoff game. He's gotten them to the playoffs. He got Detroit to the playoffs, I think, twice. I think it was twice. But they did not win. And he's only been to one Pro Bowl. Not that that's always the, the end-all, be-all. But a guy with that kind of talent, Mark, mm. you think, all right, he should have more Pro Bowls. He should have more playoff mm-hmm. wins. He should have just more overall wins. I'm not ready to say that you know, he's a lousy quarterback and the Rams made a mistake. But I am definitely not saying he is all that in a bag of chips. I don't know. Where do we stand on Matt Stafford going into year number 13, I think this is, for him. But you're number one with the Rams. He's kind of like Archie Manning. He's a latter-day Archie Manning, Ooh. Johnny. Wow, and that's a great I, comparison. When we played the Lions this year, I was on WJR, which is a fantastic traditional radio station in Detroit that yeah. anybody who's listening who's lived in Detroit knows the legend of WJR and J.P. McCarthy. And this was a big-time station there, and they had the Wolverines and the Lions over time, and they've had the Tigers. and I mean, it's unbelievable, uh, all the great stuff that they've done. But anyway, I was so I loved being on the station, and they asked me about Stafford. I said, I think he's a latter-day Archie Manning. Archie Manning was a really good quarterback on a terrible Saints team. I think the Lions have been better, and it, the record reflects that because Stafford has been there 12 years and he has four winning seasons. That's not a lot. Look, I know he's got tremendous talent. He's got tremendous talent. All right, so for guitar freaks, he's Steve Vai, who was, all right, Steve Vai played with Dave Lee Roth when Dave Lee Roth left Van Halen. Vai is really good, but he's never had that great commercial success. Um, You mentioned Fleetwood Mac. They're way too good for Stafford. Stafford's more like smashing pumpkins, uh, if you want to go 90s rock, if you want to go more 80s, he's more like uh, Brian Adams or John oh, Cougar oh. Mellencamp. Okay? okay, good ones. And and he's he's just not quite there as far as the team performance and his own performance on that team. Four winning seasons out of 12 years. You mentioned the completion percentage. Johnny, he was sub 60% in four of his first five seasons. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sub 60 in today's NFL, all right, that's 10 years ago NFL, so the completion percentages are even better today. But he's his high watermark is 67, which is nice, but the last two have been 64%. And the lack of winning seasons is alarming. Two of his four winning seasons were nine and sevens, okay? This guy oh. has not exactly lit it up. And it's not just about arm talent. He's tremendously talented, but it's also about – can you make the big third down conversion late in the game yeah. to hang on to a lead or when you're going for that potential game winning field goal or drive, not even in the clutch in, inside two minutes, but 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you need a score. You got to make it your game. Can he do those things? I think he's capable of all of it, but it, it just hasn't gotten done. Now I do think Detroit, uh, there's like an ancient burial ground or something that the <laughs> Lions were uh, founded on or whatever. I don't know what it is, but the fact is that quarterbacks are cursed in Detroit. We've seen it before. Stafford has such outstanding talent. Even he couldn't get it done. My my buddy Andre Ware had problems in Detroit because the yeah. guy who drafted him left the building like the next day and it got to be difficult. I mean, we go all the way back to what Bobby Lane in Detroit, right? As far as yeah. quarterback issues, it's just happened there. And it's just unfortunate for Stafford and the Lions fans. 
So I looked up on Pro Football Reference, mm-hmm. and they have they have a it's not really a stat, but I like this. I think Baseball Reference does it too. But they try and find comparable careers to oh, this like particular player, and oh, so. Wow. The, the comparisons are kind of all over the place in years three through 11, but there are a few common names and then they get to the career. And I feel like some of these are just dead on. <laughs> I mean, dead on. So here are the players that compare to Matt Stafford. And I can totally see why Tony Romo is the first name. Yeah. He didn't win a playoff game. Yet he got the Cowboys to 13 wins, and I think it was 13 wins in 2007. He got at least play. one playoff win, though. Hang on a second. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, they beat the Lions. They yeah. beat the Lions. That was the one playoff win they got was in 14. They beat the Lions, then went to Green Bay. Now they got hosed on that call with Des Bryant. Okay, but Tony Romo has a, has a playoff win. A few more. Now, I know this guy has some playoff wins, but I can see this. Mark Brunel. Mm-hmm. Steve McNair. Jim Kelly. Interesting one. Joe Namath. And Joe then this is Namath. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the group where it kind of, to me, where it, it's – I think this is really dead on and telling. Jim Everett. Ooh. Alex Smith. Andy Dalton. Joe Theismann. All right. Dalton, no. I think Stafford, way more talent. Any GM is going to pick Stafford over Dalton yes. based on what you've seen in their career, right? Right. Uh, what was the last one? Theismann, come on. Uh, Theismann was pretty good. He had a hell of a running game and an right. unbelievable offensive line in front yes. of him. All right. So let's let's just give that up. Steve McNair, I'm taking him every day of the week and twice on Sunday over Matthew Stafford. I'm sorry. I right. just am. Look, yeah. I, the guy's got the intangibles to go along with the talent, right? Right. Who else did you mention? Jim Kelly with the four Super Bowls. Look, Stafford never played in a he played in the divisional round, but he never won a playoff game, like you said, in 12 seasons. Kelly went to four freaking Super Bowls. Yeah. So I know he lost them all, but geez, he got there. I mean, yeah. look, I love Stafford's talent. I'll back Andre up with the Stafford arm talent and all of that. I think we all see it. And this year yeah. we're going to find out a lot more. Now, unfortunately for Stafford, he's not exactly 25 years old anymore. You know, he's played 12 years in the league. So you're getting him at the, I don't know if it's the tail end. Look, for Brady and Breeze, it wouldn't be the tail end. They would be mid-career. But we'll see how it works out with McVay. If it doesn't work with McVay, you get the feeling that mm, the narrative is really going to be horrible for him. Well, that's a, that's a great point, too. And I started thinking about that over the weekend, like which quarterbacks were, I don't want to say like gems, like you found these guys out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. but they essentially went to a different coach, different scheme, and it fit perfectly. And actually one of the names that popped into my mind was on that list, Alex Smith. Alex Smith in San Francisco, couldn't find him the right offensive coordinator. He gets to Kansas City, and the guy went to the Pro Bowl a couple times. Now. They knew he wasn't Patrick Mahomes, and they knew there was a ceiling on him, and that's why they drafted Mahomes. But Alex Smith was one of those guys that just sort of middling guy, but then he got the Andy Reid, and boom, away you go. So I'm curious to see what he does with Sean McVay and whether McVay is kind of the secret sauce 
Because if Stafford isn't the secret sauce for McVay and vice versa, then the Rams are going to be kind of left holding the bag because they've given up all these first-round picks yep. to go get Stafford, to mm-hmm. go get Jalen Ramsey. They don't have any first-round picks. So this darn thing better work out, and McVay and Stafford better be great for each other, or that thing in L.A. is going to get ugly fast because people in L.A. have got a whole lot better things to do than go see the Rams be 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. Yeah, and look, that's kind of in Stafford's comfort zone right there, for lack of a better way of putting it. Look, he's never had the talent around him, especially on defense, that the Rams present. That's really going to help him. We talked about completion percentage, though, Johnny. That's a huge factor in this league, the check down, the the easy offense that you can get with safe passes just to matriculate the ball down the field. It's such a huge part of the game. Can you make those accurate throws, especially when you have to? We'll see. But if there's a guy who can get the most out of them, you feel like it's got to be McVay. Although, why didn't it work with Goff? Why didn't it work with Goff when it first started to work with Goff? It was working all right, but then they couldn't protect them and they couldn't run the ball as well. And all of a sudden, big trouble for Goff, right? Well, Stafford's used to having some adversity around him and some uh, just terrible things happen in the in the backfield um wait what was, what was the term oh under duress he's used to being under duress yes in detroit over the years so. and and here's another factor you brought it up offensive coordinators that roll over i mean he's probably had in 12 years i don't know how many he's had oh. you know he had jim bob cooter he had bevel he had a few did he have bevel anyway he yeah he, has, he did he had a, bevel all right so he's had a few of them and some of them have stayed a little bit but Geez, it's it's been a rough go there. And here's another thing about Stafford. Most people are thinking right now, gee, I haven't seen Stafford play much. You have not seen Stafford play much because Detroit isn't on television. Detroit right. gets on th- for Thanksgiving and one other game, maybe another, and that's it. We see him once every four years. That's it because Detroit is not a marquee team. You know, we are talking about other quarterbacks, uh, some of the names you just mentioned. We see them a whole lot more. You mentioned Tony Romo. You see Romo all the time with the Cowboys, whether they're good or bad, because the Cowboys are always on television. So that plays into it as well. A lot of people give Stafford a major benefit of a doubt. Maybe some, maybe he's better than people think because they just don't see him enough. But they haven't been winning a lot of football games there, and often it comes down to the quarterback. It's not just the quarterback, but the quarterback's obviously a huge factor. Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be fascinating to watch. We'll go around the NFL next right here on Texans All Access. We want to follow segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Monday Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you in the month of July, July 12th. I said this to Mark earlier. Man, it's about two and a half weeks. Maybe not in, uh, yeah, maybe less than that. It's less than two weeks that the players report back to NRG Stadium for training camp, and that is just unbelievable to think about. Appreciate you being with me, John Harris, your host this evening. Now let's go around the NFL. I got one for you. It actually relates to training camp. This comes from Jordan Raynon, who I think now writes for The Athletic for the Giants. He wrote this tweet. Mark the calendar. The Giants, hashtag New York Giants, football Giants, will host their only open practice of the summer, August 11th, at MetLife Stadium, calling it FanFest to celebrate the return of fans for the 2021 season. Practice, autographs by legends, and fireworks. It's 
15 days after training camp opens. Now, I know not everything is sort of captured in one tweet and what is an open practice versus isn't. Are there people there? I've gone through this with with the Texans a few times, like over the years. Not I've gone through it, I mean, but just experienced it. You look out and you're like, man, there are a lot of people at practice today. But it's not a quote-unquote open practice. But it's for season ticket members or it's for certain groups that are there. But it's not a quote-unquote open practice. But the Texans have had open practices for you know, for years. And I don't know how many of them end up being open. I mean, it's, it's been probably seven, eight, nine in the past. I try to think what it was in 2019. We come back after two years at the Greenbrier and I'm pretty sure it was a pretty decent number. It's probably six or seven, but there were people at almost every practice. Now with the protocols being what they are, you've got to stay 20 feet away from the players. So I don't know exactly how autographs by legends, not by players. So you got to stay 20 feet away. We've talked about it, Mark and I have, about training camp, how that's going to look, what that's going to be for us, just where we broadcast from, what we can see, what media is allowed to go to practice, all that kind of stuff remains to be seen. But I saw this tweet as a reply from a guy I follow with the Green Bay Packers, uh, covers them for Cheeseheads TV's name's Aaron Nagler. I think he wrote for Bleacher Report. Excellent guy. Good dude, and been following him for a long time. And obviously, just because I grew up in Wisconsin, I'm always wanting to follow the Packers. He responded and said, The Packers, he's been hearing complaints the Packers are having only 13 open practices. The Giants are having one. Now, hopefully, the Texans will be having a few more than that. We don't know exactly what, as 610 has been calling it, Camp Casario. I would call it Camp Calario which is Cully and Casario together, which sounds a little bit better, and it encompasses both of them being new, the GM uh, and the head coach, but to each their own. My guess is it'll be more than one practice as long as the protocols hold. I would think it's going to be a decent number. Now, we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I would imagine it's going to be probably more than one practice. I texted that to Mark a couple hours ago, and I wrote to him and said, I, if I were an organization, I would be bending over backwards for my fans after last year. And look, last year really wasn't anybody's fault. It was COVID. I mean, COVID just took all that away. We had the protocols. It, it just took everything away. That said, to be able to appease fans and make them happy, and, hey, man, come back. Come back. Watch us. If you, if you left, come on back. We want you back. Man, I would open everything. That's just me. That's just me. Giants, nah, not so much. Joe Judge, uh, not really happy about having fans and open practices. So uh, that's the way they're going to roll in New York. Hopefully it's going to be a little different here. But we'll find out. We'll get that information to you as soon as we get it set later this month. Appreciate you guys for being here. It's been great. Thanks to Mark, to my guys back in studio. Y'all did a great job. To you guys listening, y'all are the best. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.